the theme that Kevin told me was that uh, this well, it's wonderful to be here this morning, and um, I want to thank you for your prayers for the ministry of RUF, not just at the University of Maryland, but I was thinking about uh, the connections with this church uh, really around the world. Kevin Mahaffey is on staff with RUF down in Mexico City and doing a wonderful ministry there. Um, Chris Shea, I believe, is from this church as well, right? And he's he was at RUF at William & Mary and intern now somewhere. I'm not even sure where he is. Okay, Rhode Island. Um, and then you've, you've sent many students my way. Uh, Marissa Miller, uh, Alice Burns, and now Matt Brevard is uh, at RUF at the University of Maryland. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers and support. Thank you for sending students uh, to connect with us, to seek to reach students for Christ and equip students to serve. That's really what RUF's all about. That's what we're uh, trying to do on the campus. A lot of times when people think about the University of Maryland in the news, it's typically negative. Uh, for some reason, all the basketball players are now leaving the University of Maryland, and I'm not sure why. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's usually negative things in the, uh, in the news whenever we play Duke University, and there's riots on Route 1. Some of you know about that. And uh, a few years ago, there was a a crazy thing. They wanted to show a porno, pornographic film in the main theater of the University of Maryland. You probably all heard about that. So it's a very secular place. It's a very dark place in a lot of ways. But at the same time, uh, Jesus is moving there. And not just through RUF, but uh, Campus Crusade crew and Navigators, InterVarsity. There's a lot of excellent ministries there that are preaching the gospel. Uh, students are coming to know Jesus. Uh, students are growing in their faith. Students are being released from different addictions and different things that they're struggling with. And so the gospel is going forward. So thank you uh, for your prayers. I think this conference is about uh, the captives being set free. The captives being set free to serve and to do mission. And, and really, that's what we're looking at this morning, if you would turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at this wonderful story about Philip, one of the apostles who, after the persecution of the church in Acts chapter 8, is sent uh, by the church off to Samaria as the church scattered because of the persecution. And he is preaching the gospel, and then the Lord tells him to go to this desert road and to, to continue to proclaim the gospel there. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. So hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go, south, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, 
How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have given us your word. Uh, You have shown us your great power, even bringing this Ethiopian eunuch to faith. Lord, would you open our hearts? Would you speak to us? Speak to us through your word, by your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This passage is, in some ways, about this idea of exclusion. The pain of exclusion and the ultimate joy of inclusion. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Kansas City to visit my nephew who was in medical school. And one of the days I was there, I decided I was going to go to uh, this Hall of Fame, the Negro Hall of Fame. And this was... The, the baseball players back, you know, before Jackie Robinson broke in, uh, this was celebrating the Negro Leagues in America, and there's a wonderful Hall of Fame there. It was an amazing place because I love baseball, and I enjoyed Ken Burns' uh, documentary on baseball. I don't know if anybody has seen that, but there's some great uh, shows in that about the Negro Leagues, and they call it Shadow Ball because they were playing baseball, but, you know, the, the white majority class didn't know them. So to some extent, it was sad that there was a place called the Negro Hall of Fame because they weren't included. Some of the greatest baseball players of all time were there, guys that you might not even know the names of, but there's a guy by the name of Josh Gibson who was a catcher for the Pittsburgh Grays, and he hit something like 800 home runs, more than Babe Ruth. There was a pitcher there, Satchel Paige, who I think had 400 victories. He finally got to the majors when he was an old man and still won about 35 games. I think he was in his 40s during that time. (laughs) <laughs> there was uh, another player who I love because I was in St. Louis, and he was from there when, when I was in seminary. His name was Cool Papa Bell. And it was said that Cool Papa Bell was so fast that he hit the light switch, jump into bed before the room got dark. <laughs> and, uh, and so all of these great, amazing baseball players were there, displayed. And at the same time, it was sad, and some of you may have seen the the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson. And uh, in that movie, it kind of points out 
uh, the exclusion that these players felt in a very tangible way. They were on a bus. Jackie Robinson was actually driving the bus of the Kansas City Monarchs. They were going to a town. The gasoline gauge was going to empty. And so they pull into this gas station, and all the guys jump out because they needed to use the restrooms. Well, the manager of the store comes out, and he says, no, 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 guys, don't, you can't go in there. You can't use that restroom. And very shrewdly, Jackie Robinson takes the gas hose and pulls it out of the bus and says, you know what? This bus takes a lot of gallons of gasoline. We can go right down the road. The manager thought for a split second and said, okay, boys, you can use that restroom, but make it quick. Funny but sad. The issue of exclusion. You know, as we think about this, this passage, there's that issue of exclusion that's going on here originally. Because it's about this Ethiopian eunuch who was going to worship in Jerusalem, but I can guarantee you that his worship was unsatisfactory. He was not able to enter in. And so the first point of this is the problem of, it, of exclusion that really not just the Ethiopian eunuch, but all of us have in terms of our relationship with God. The scriptures make it very clear that God is holy, that God is other, that he's beyond us. In our sinfulness, we can't approach him. And so as you think about this idea of the holiness of God, we hear verses in the Old Testament like this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Only those who do what is right 100% of the time, all the time, and speak what is right in his heart, in his inner thoughts. And as you think about that, you have to say, no one can do that. Only those who have clean hands and a pure heart can approach the Lord. And so as we think about this Ethiopian eunuch, the problem is there's a great barrier in front of him when it comes to the worship of God. And he has at least three strikes against him. And the first thing is he was Ethiopian. Now, in the Old Testament law, what's the problem? Well, he was a Gentile. He was just like many of us in here. And because of that, he did not have the closeness to God's people that God required. He was not a son of Abraham. And so he could go, he was attracted to the God of Israel. He could go to the temple, but he was excluded really from the temple courts. He couldn't go to where the sacrifices are happening. He was only allowed in the outer Gentile court. He must have been deeply disappointed as he's traveling back home to Ethiopia. He was excluded from the full worship. Maybe it's that exclusion, this holiness of God, that is also producing in him a desire to get to know this God. And he's reading the scriptures. He's attracted to this God of Israel. Maybe it was something to do with the Jews who had come out from Jerusalem and were worshiping the God. Somehow he was a God-fearer, a proselyte is what they call. And he was probably going to Israel to worship during the Passover. But again, he was excluded. 
If you think about uh, the Old Testament, there are many uh, sections of it which deal with this idea that God's worship is narrow and he is holy. Even for the Jewish people, Leviticus will show you things that make it really impossible in and of ourselves to worship the Lord. Here are some of the things. If you were ceremonial, you were ceremonially unclean for touching unclean animals or livestock or a dead body, or if you had skin diseases, bleeding. Anybody have rashes today? Uh, anybody itching their eyes from the pollen? Swelling, boils, other infectious skin diseases. And with these, there were all kinds of regulations for washing and bathing that the, that. Uh, these things were discovered putting on clean clothes and that sort of thing. Even mildew and mold in your house made you unfit. Anybody? Uh, there was a host of special eating laws, food laws, sexual relationship laws, clothing laws. You can't mix polyester and cotton, so if you've got some sort of mix today, you're excluded. The sacrificial laws, what animals were appropriate, which ones were not. If you want to be blown away by the narrowness of God's worship, just read the Old Testament. Read Leviticus, and you'll see how narrow it is to worship this holy God. And so, this Ethiopian was outside of Israel. And he was a eunuch. It's the second strike. Which meant that he had been emasculated or castrated. And a eunuch was one either by injury or by choice. In ancient times, this was done in order to give servants full devotion and loyalty to their king, in this case, to the queen. They wouldn't have any family to worry about. They could just serve the king. And this was what we had with this Ethiopian eunuch. He was serving, but yet... The Old Testament clearly says in Deuteronomy 23.1, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. What is God doing here? He is saying, you must be holy. You must be perfect. You must be spotless in order to have relationship and connection with me. The Ethiopian at this point, had an unsatisfied worship experience as he went to Jerusalem. Ultimately, what God was showing in this passage is that he's a sinner. That he can't come to God on his own terms. In Isaiah 6, you're familiar with that passage, Isaiah the prophet who we would say, this is a good guy. He's wearing the white hat, right? He's a prophet of the Lord. And he has a vision of God's holiness. And in that vision, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And the cherubim are there screaming and chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. And he was cut to the heart. And he says, woe is me. I'm I'm a dead man, so to speak. Because I've seen the Lord. I have unclean lips. I cannot enter in. I'm dead because of my sin. And in that passage, we see that even the best of the best, Isaiah, prophet of the Lord, who 
followed God even to his death, they believed. Saul did too. The Lord is saying, even my prophet is a sinner. There's no one who can come to me in and of themselves. Now, this might make you angry at God. At the University of Maryland, this idea of exclusivity is not looked on favorably. The fact that God is saying, I am the Lord of heaven and earth. There's no other God except me. There's no other religion except me. It's not looked favorably in our culture, as you know. In fact, really, the predominant idea, I think, in our culture, either at the University of Maryland or anywhere, is that when it comes to religion, there's no one religion that's true, that they're all valid. And what the Bible is saying, and what the Lord is saying, from Genesis to Revelation is, no, I'm the God, I'm the creator, I'm the one who knows you, created you, worship me alone. And so, one of the things we have to wrestle with, maybe you're here and you're still considering Christianity, still considering the Christian life, is this idea that when we come to the Bible, we're coming to God's playing field. And we're, we're coming here and we're saying, this God of the Bible is not made in my image. He is God and God alone. If he were made in my image, I would say, yes, all religions should be equal and all people should have access and everything. But when we come to the scriptures, we see, no, it's God is holy and all of people, whatever their race, wherever they are, are separated due to their sin. Due to failing to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, failure to worship God alone. Instead, like Paul says, we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship the created things instead of the creator. We worship money. We worship power. We worship uh, pleasure. We worship sexuality. We worship ESPN. We worship a variety of different animals. Ravens, tigers, bears, <laughs> orioles, different things. You know, this is the nature of our heart. We worship and Paul is saying that another definition of sin is you're worshiping other things instead of the God who created you and gave you all things. So we come to this conclusion that the Ethiopian is basically struck out when it comes to his worship of the Lord on many occasions. But we don't just stop there because the solution, the beauty of this passage is really what God is doing. He's bringing this Ethiopian eunuch into full worship. So you could look at this passage one way and say, look at Philip. He's, he's being led by the Spirit. He's preaching the Gospel. He understands the Scriptures. He's doing all these things. And that would be a good way to look at this passage. But I want to look at this passage more about what is God doing in the big picture. And what He's doing in the big picture is He is calling the nations to Himself. An Ethiopian eunuch who knew about the God of Israel but still was excluded from that worship comes to Jerusalem to worship but has an unsatisfactory worship experience there. And then the Lord sends Philip to reach him. And so God sends Philip to open up his heart to the Spirit and to the Word. And really what you see him doing through this passage in Isaiah is talking about this idea where an insider became an outsider so that an outsider could become an insider. 
That's what's happening here. The insider was the Lord Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven. And he becomes an outsider. He leaves all of that behind and he becomes flesh. And he actually goes to the cross and becomes scorned and separated from his father so that he could bring other outsiders in. Really, that's what the gospel is all about. So you see it here as Philip shares with the Ethiopian eunuch. And so in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Deserted place. But there was going to be something beautiful happen there. This Ethiopian was going to come. And so he goes down there. God is sending him. God is seeking the lost. And he sends his servant there. And lo and behold... This Ethiopian eunuch just happens to be reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he just happens to be reading probably the most magnificent passage in all of the Old Testament, which points to the death of Jesus as a substitute for sinners. Isaiah 53. This is the suffering servant. It's almost as if Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before, was sitting at the foot of the cross with a notepad and writing down what happened to Jesus on the cross. Why did this passage interest this Ethiopian eunuch, I wonder? Well, I think it's because this Ethiopian eunuch was suffering because of all of those strikes against him. And as he read this, he was seeing someone else that was suffering. And he was identifying with that. Think about this, this passage. I'm going to read it, 53, 7, and 8, which is Acts 31, 32. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. Now think about this. The Ethiopian eunuch had no voice in the assembly. He was out in the Gentile court. He couldn't enter in. He couldn't really even talk to the priests or get in there with the sacrifice. He couldn't get close to the altar, much less the Holy of Holies. We know only the priests once a year could go in there. So he was separated. He really had no voice, no voice to praise, no voice in the assembly. And look at Jesus He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He had no voice. Jesus had no voice. He had no offspring. The eunuch had no offspring. He was sexually unable to have children. 8.33, in his humiliation, he, Jesus, was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? Have you ever thought about that? Jesus had no physical offspring on the earth. Now, obviously, he has spiritual offspring everywhere. But he was single. He did not have his own family or his own blood descendants. He could identify with this eunuch. 
Jesus became physically single so that spiritually he could have descendants from every tribe and tongue, children born not of physical birth but of spiritual birth. The eunuch was looked at and despised. He didn't fit in. He was despised by the insiders and the religious because of that he was a eunuch, because he was racially outside of Israel. And Jesus becomes despised and rejected and was crushed physically so that we would be loved and accepted, so that he would be loved and accepted. He was marred beyond recognition, it says in chapter 52, right before here, which he probably was reading. It says, as many were astonished at you, at, at your appearance, was, was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And then it says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Isaiah is thinking about the rejection of Jesus and the physical marring that took place at the cross. But don't you see that the eunuch is identifying that Jesus' suffering is what makes him connect with the Savior who experienced all of that injustice which was brought upon him because he was becoming a substitute for sinners. And so the eunuch was cut off from the fellowship just as Jesus was cut off because he was the substitute and he was taking on our sin. In 53, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Ultimately, this is the gospel. Don't you see that that outsider, or the insider, Jesus becomes an outsider, so this outsider, the eunuch, and all of us can become an insider. Jesus is the only way that we can come in. It's the only way that we can have true access to the Father. So that's why it's so beautiful. We just celebrated Easter, you know, and in the past passion narratives when the temple curtain is torn in two. I mean, that is a glorious thing. That means, no, it's not just the high priest once a year that can have access. It's all those who come to faith in Jesus to have full access to Jesus. No matter who we are, what we've been through, our sin, all those who place their faith can come in, enter, are full members because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice for us. That's the good news. And so, what's this mean for us? Well, wherever we are, whatever we've done or not done, whatever shame that we're feeling due to our our sin and our brokenness, whatever places those things hit us, we have one who has taken on all of our sin on that cross, has suffered God's justice so that we could have access by faith and come in. And that's a glorious thing. And so the last point here is we have this full inclusion into God's worship because of Jesus. 
(laughs) The last thing is this freeing aspect of the gospel. But it's almost too good to be true for the Ethiopian. Because it's interesting how he phrases the passage. After Philip preaches the gospel, he sees water. So Philip must have gone through the entire gospel. He's talking about faith and repentance and baptism. And the Ethiopian eunuch is like, well, I have not been baptized. And here is water. But he phrases this, what prevents me from being baptized? Isn't it interesting that he says, what prevents me? Because, you see, his whole life, people have been preventing him from coming into full worship. Well, guess what? Today's the day of salvation. Nothing hinders. Nothing prevents because Jesus has gone to the cross, risen from the dead, and he, and he allows all of us to enter in by faith. And so, what do they do? Well, they get down from the chariot. Philip baptizes him. And what is baptism? It's the sign of the covenant. It's saying that this Ethiopian eunuch is mine. He is my son from the foundation of the world. He's totally accepted. This is full membership in the worshiping community. This isn't a sidecar. This is full membership because of the blood of Christ. And then he praises the Lord. Verse 39, he goes away praising the Lord. He's rejoicing. He's not returning to Jerusalem or to the temple anymore. He doesn't have to do that. He probably has to go to Jerusalem for business. He's the financial director of Ethiopia. But he doesn't have to worry about the temple restrictions anymore because he has full access to Jesus through the cross. And so he praises God. He worships God. And it's believed that he is the one responsible for starting the church in Ethiopia. In fact, the church father, Irenaeus, says this regarding the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is about in 180 AD when he wrote this. This man, he calls him Simeon Bacchus, the eunuch, was also sent into the regions of Ethiopia to preach what he had himself believed, that there was one God preached by the prophets and that the son of this God had already made his appearance in human flesh and had been led as a sheep to the slaughter and all the other sacraments which the prophets made, statements which the prophets made regarding him. It's believed that he started the church in Ethiopia preaching the gospel. And so we have this amazing thing, these, this prophecy actually being fulfilled in Isaiah. Later on, I want to read this section in Isaiah 56, just three chapters later, that I'm sure he read. It says this, and this is really the the fulfillment. He says, Isaiah says, Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. Hear this wonderful promise. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give them within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. 
Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel. Isn't this wonderful? Full access to the Ethiopian, to the eunuch, who was a dry tree. Now he comes in to the Lord's family. And through him, others from Ethiopia come in to the Lord's family as he preaches the gospel. Jesus dying for Ethiopian eunuchs and for us to give us full inclusion into the family of God. No longer excluded. Going back to my point in the beginning, if you've seen that movie, 42, there's a powerful scene about inclusion in there. And when Jackie Robinson was called up to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers, he played first base. And the second baseman was a guy by the name of Pee Wee Reese, and he was from Cincinnati. And the Brooklyn Dodgers were playing Cincinnati Reds. And this is maybe the first month of, uh, of the year in baseball when Jackie had just broken in. And he was getting all kinds of abuse. Uh, People were writing him death threats. He gets to Cincinnati. They're on the field, and the crowd is going crazy, booing him, not just that, but cursing him. And Pee Wee Reese, who was from that town, while this was all going on, walked over to Jackie and put his arm around him and just stood there. powerful example of full inclusion. Nothing can separate us, and that's what Jesus has done for us. We're no longer cast out due to our sin if we place our faith in Jesus. There's nothing that separates us from the love of God in Christ. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the power of the gospel that calls Ethiopians Marylanders, people from all over the place into your family by faith. Jesus, there's nothing we can do but say thank you. Thank you for the gospel of grace, which no longer excludes. It never did exclude. Jesus, we thank you. We pray that we might know that deeply in our hearts. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.